verse 16, verse 17, I want to talk about the benefits of God's Word. Going a little bit different direction tonight. But I want to talk about the benefits of God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, 17. Scriptures will not be on the screen. The, The first two verses will, but the remainder of the Scriptures will not be on the screen so it'll be on your outline and then I've added a few more since I've printed the um, outline that I'll make you aware of towards the end of the message. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3 beginning at verse 16, verse 17 as we talk about the benefits of God's Word. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible, God's Word, is the greatest book that has ever been written. And personally, I believe that it is the greatest book that you and I will ever read. It is unlike any other book that's ever been written because it is a supernatural book. This is not just a normal book written by normal people. Well, normal people, but it was inspired by God. So it is a supernatural living book. That means it's always true, it's always flawless, you won't find contradictions, you won't find errors because God is the one who inspired His Word. It is eternal, meaning that it will remain forever just as God will remain forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It is a living book and it is a powerful book. You've heard me say before that this is the only book that while you read it, it begins to read you. That as you spend time in its pages and as you begin to study it, as you begin to meditate on it, it will begin to read your life. In fact, James compares the Word of God to a mirror. It shows us who we are. It shows us what we are. It shows us our need for God. It shows us our need for salvation. And because this is a special book and a supernatural book, we as God's people should be people of the book. We should be people who love God's Word. We should be people who cherish God's Word. We should be people who want to know what God has to say. In fact, many times people want to say, Pastor, I just can't hear God speak to me. And my question would be, how much time are you spending in the book? Because if you open the book, God will begin to speak. If you'll open the Bible and begin to read, that is God speaking to you. That is God speaking to me. It's hard to hear God when this is closed. And here's the thing. I know we're Pentecostal people and we believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy and tongues and word of wisdom and word of knowledge. But the main way that God speaks today is He speaks through His Word. And so we've got to be people who know the Word. We've got to be people who know the book. But statistics tell us that less than half of believers don't read their Bibles on a daily basis. That's sad. Less than half of believers read their Bible on a daily basis. And so is it any wonder that we struggle with the flesh? 
Is it any wonder that we struggle against Satan and struggle against temptation and we struggle with the world and all of its allurements and attractions? Is it any wonder that so many times we seem to take two steps forward and three steps back? It's because we're failing to spend time in the book. Is it any wonder why we struggle with doubt and fear? I believe if you'll put this book in your life and spend time in it, it will remove fear. It will remove doubt from your life. It has a way of strengthening strengthening us and helping us to overcome the problems and doubts and worries of life. So this evening I want to share with you some of the benefits of reading and studying God's Word. Paul said it's profitable. That means it's useful, it's beneficial, it's helpful. This book was given to us to help us. This book was given to us to benefit our lives And so what are the benefits of God's Word? Number one, it helps me grow up spiritually. It helps me grow up spiritually. The first benefit of God's Word is that it helps me grow in my faith. It helps me grow in my walk with God. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. To be a growing believer, we need the Word of God. Just as we eat physical food to grow our physical bodies, just as we eat physical food to, to, to be nourished, we've got to feast on the Word of God so that we can grow in our walk with God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus tells us plainly that as we live on physical bread, we're to live on God's Word, which is our spiritual bread. And here's the thing about this. We become what we eat. If you think about feeding the physical body, if all you do is feed the physical body junk food, you're going to end up with a junk food body. Amen. There's healthy food, there's junk food, and the body needs healthy food. The body needs healthy food to to function as it needs to function. But if we live off of fast food and McDonald's and Burger King all the time, we shouldn't complain about having health problems. Because we become what we eat. And the same is true for us spiritually. What we take in, whether it's through reading, through listening, through watching something on TV, will determine what we become. In other words, it's going to have an effect on us spiritually and it's going to have an effect on us even emotionally. If we feast on the things of the world, it will affect us in a negative way. But if we feast on the Word of God, it will affect us in a positive way. So many people want to know, why can't I grow, Pastor? Why can't I be stronger in the Lord? It's because we're not feeding on the Word of God as we should. Because if we're feeding on the wrong things, that's what our body and our spiritual life is going to follow. And so if you're here tonight, you're not growing in your faith, you're not where you think you ought to be, I would say to you that you're not feeding on the Word of God as you should. And I'm talking about more than a devotion. I'm talking about more than a few moments in the Word. I'm talking about feeding on this book, taking this book into our lives so that it alters us and changes us. I believe that you cannot be a growing, maturing Christian without the Word of God. Church is important, and I believe prayer is important, but if we really want to grow, we've got to spend time in the Word of God that Listening to it on Sunday morning and Wednesday night is not enough to grow as we need to grow. We need to be people who spend time on a regular, consistent basis in the Word of God. 
So that raises the question, how do we feed on God's Word? How do we feed on this book? How do we take it in? Well, first of all, you've got to start by reading it. You need to read it slowly. Slow down. We get in such a hurry when it comes to spending time in God's Word. We want to check off the box and we want to get done and we want to be on our way and we want to say, I I got into God's Word today. But here's the thing. Simply cracking the book and reading it real quickly and checking off the box to get done isn't going to help you a whole lot. You've got to slow down, read it, and take it in. You need to read it thoughtfully. You need to think about what you're reading. You need to read prayerfully. You need to say, God, speak to me through your word. Open my eyes that I can see what it is you want me to see in your word. But you need to read it humbly. This is God's word. We should approach it as God's word. We should approach it as God speaking to us. And we've got to do that with humility. Here's what Thomas Watson said. Do not stop reading in the Bible till you find your hearts warmed. Read the word not only as a history, but strive to be affected with it. Let it not only inform you, but inflame you. We should spend time in this book until it affects us. We should read until God grips a hold of our heart and God does something in our life. And I can't tell you how long that's going to take. You might read one verse and all of a sudden you encounter God. It might be a chapter. It might be two chapters. But we need to stay in the book until God touches us. Until we meet with Him. But secondly, you need to study it. Not just read it, but you need to go beyond that and begin to study it. And how do you study it? Well, you've got to ask questions of the text. You've got to interrogate the text. You've got to be like an investigative reporter and ask questions about what God's Word says. Write this down. If you want answers from the Bible, you have to ask questions of the Bible. If you want answers from the Bible, you have to ask questions of the Bible. Let me give you some questions to ask. What does it say about God? That's just a good place to start. When you begin your reading, what does this say about God? Look for His character, who He is, what He's like. Does this tell me that God is holy? Does this tell me that He's loving? Does it tell me He's gracious, compassionate? What does it say about God's character? But also look for God's conduct. What's He doing? Is He sending judgment? Is He sending murder? What's God doing in the text? You just begin to look at These questions. Look for God's concerns. What things, events, and people is He concerned about? Look at how God's interacting with people and just begin to ask these questions. But here's another question to ask. What does it say about people? What does it say about people? And see, this is where it starts getting personal. This is where you start applying it. What what, what does it say about me? Because the reality is what people dealt with in the Bible, we still deal with today. You've got to look for how God's people should live. Is there a command that I need to obey? Is there some kind of attitude that needs to change in my life? Is there some kind of habit that I need to break? What does it say about how you should live? Look for aspects of what it means to be created in God's image. But here's the third thing. Look for the fallen condition. In other words, what sin or issue is God trying to deal with in the text? What's God trying to do in the text? What problem do we see humanity struggling with? Put yourself in there. And yet that, this is how you just study God's Word. What does it say about God? What does it say about people? But here's another question. Is there a sin to confess? 
Is there something I need to confess when I begin to read God's Word? Is there a promise to believe? Does, does God give me a promise that I can hold on to? Is there something to praise God for? These are ways you read and study God's Word. These are ways that you feed on His book. Write down what you learn. Keep a journal of what God says to you. I believe it's important to keep a record of what God's doing in your life. You can get just a, a, a notebook and it don't have to be hardback. It can be just a little spiral notebook. But you need to find some way to record what God is saying to you. That they make Bibles nowadays that has text with lines out on the side. Uh, this is rather small print. But you can uh, just, you, you, you just, you just take it, highlight and write, and, and just keep up with stuff. And then when you're gone and your children come behind you, you've got something that you can pass on to them. But keep a record of what God's saying to you. And let me just say why that's important. Because there may come a day that you're discouraged and you're down. And you can go back and find out what God said and be encouraged. Amen? Maybe you're praying about something and you're, you're writing out that prayer. You're, you're, you're writing out what it is you want God to do in your life. And God answers and you can go back and say, Hey, this is where I prayed for it. And on this day God answered it's a record of what God is doing in your life. But here's another thing to do to feed on God's Word. You need to memorize it. You need to memorize it. You need to hide it in your heart. Colossians 3.16 says that we need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us. We need to put it in here. We need to have it in here. In other words, if you don't have this book anymore in your hand, how much of it do you have in here? That's important. Because when you can't get a hold of a physical copy or when you can't get a hold of your phone and the battery is dead and you can't pull up your Bible app and Satan's trying to pounce on you and Satan's trying to destroy you, do you have it hid in your heart? Do you have it memorized? Another way to feed on God's Word is to listen to it. We've got radio, we've got CDs, we've got the, the access to the internet. There, there's all kinds of ways to hear the Word of God. I can pick up my phone and take a nap, and I can just begin to go to a certain translation, and I can have it read to me. And I can read along if I want to, or I can just listen. But I'm taking in the Word of God. There are times that I'll put, I've got a little speaker right beside my bed, and there's times I'll just put Scripture on, and I'll drift off to sleep while the Word of God's being read. And I wake up in the morning and scripture still being read. What better way to go to sleep than to have the word of God coming into your life? Amen. Here's another thing to feed on God's word. You've got to meditate on it. We, 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 we've seen cows chew their cud. We know what they do. They, they take in food. They, they regurgitate it. They begin to chew on it again. They lay down. They, they're getting all the nutrients out of it that they can. And that's what you got to do. you got to learn how to meditate on it. Here's what Thomas Watson said. Reading brings a truth into our head. Meditation brings it into our heart. I thought that was wonderful. Reading can put it in our head, but meditating on it can put it in our heart. Have you ever heard somebody preach and preach a text that you've read for years and years and over and over again? But yeah, they can get up and preach and it's like I've never seen that before. It's because they've spent time 
meditating, chewing on the Word, and they're getting every bit of nutrients they can out of it. So we've got to spend time in the Word of God because it helps us grow up spiritually. I want us to grow up. I want us to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. I want us to be people who know the book. I don't want to be baby Christians. I, I, I don't want to just have to feast on milk all the time. I want the meat sometimes. Those, those things we were talking about before service that when it comes to, to God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Listen, that's getting into the depths of the meat of His Word. And so we've got to be prepared for those kinds of things. But number two, second benefit, it helps me grow in purity. It helps me grow in purity. God is holy and I believe He wants His people to practice purity. I believe God wants His people to be holy. I believe God wants us to be different and set apart from the world. God doesn't want us to act like them. God doesn't want us to have the same attitudes as them. But how do we change? How do we live a sanctified, set-apart life? You have to spend time in the book. You see, God's plan, God's purpose, part of that is that we be sanctified. Look at 1 Thessalonians verse four, chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. What is God's will? Your sanctification. The Holy Spirit helps with sanctification. The Holy Spirit does His part. He works in our life. He convicts of sin. He gives us the power and ability to live right, to do right. But the Word of God also plays a role in the sanctifying work of our lives. In fact, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit and the Word work together to do the work that needs to be done in our lives. The Holy Spirit and the Word both are used to sanctify us. Look at Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you notice there he says I've stored it up. I've put it in my life. I'm letting it dwell in me. I've, I've treasured it in my life so that I'll not sin against God. In other words, just a cursory reading, just a cursory glance at it every now and then. That's not going to help you. You've got to store it up in your heart. And then John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is going to expose what is wrong in our lives, but also believe that it will restrain us from doing what is wrong. I believe that the word of God sets boundaries and limits and kind of guardrails to keep us from going outside of the boundaries that God has placed for us. I believe that the Word of God has a way of fortifying our minds and protecting our hearts so that we are less susceptible to the temptations that come our way. The Word of God, it will renew our minds so that we can be changed and transformed rather than conformed to the world. Somebody once said this, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. If you'll put this book in your life, it will keep you from sin. It will guard you against temptation. It will guard you against falling in to the trap of the enemy. God's word has the power to wash us and cleans deep down inside of our souls. It purifies our thoughts, scrubs our motives, and cleans our conscience as we absorb it and obey its truths. Listen to Ephesians 5 verse 25, 26. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. How does God wash us? How does God cleanse us? He washes us and cleanses us with the water of the word. It'll wash away the filth. It'll wash away the impurities from our lives. If we'll take it in, live it out, it will change us. Jesus said this in John 15, 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Think about that. He says, you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The word will cleanse us. I'm thankful that the word has cleansing power. But here's a third thing, a third benefit. It helps me fight the enemy. It helps me fight the enemy. I say it often, but we have to be reminded again tonight that we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Every day we have to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And here's the thing, in our own strength, we're powerless against them. In our own strength, we can't overcome the flesh. Listen, our, our, our own willpower will not conquer the flesh. You can't. Read Romans 7. Paul, he, he's a saved man, a sanctified man, a spirit-filled man. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And I end up doing the very things I hate. It's constant struggle. But he goes on to say, who's going to deliver me from this body? He says, Jesus Christ will. You see, as we get into the Word and we begin to learn about the Word, capital W-O-R-D, Jesus, He'll sanctify and He'll help us to be strong against the powers of darkness. You see, we've got to fight against the forces of darkness and we do that through prayer, but certainly we also use it through, do it through the Word. In Ephesians 6, Paul, he concludes writing about the armor of God and he finishes talking about the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul says the Word of God is our sword for spiritual battle. In other words, to fight a spiritual enemy, you have to use a spiritual weapon. But we can't go out in the flesh. We can't go out and think, I'm going to whip the devil today in my own strength. No, you've got to have a spiritual weapon. Spiritual battles can't be fought with fleshly weapons. And yet so many times we're trying to fight in our own strength. We're trying to fight with our own power. But you've got to fight with spiritual artillery. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh. In other words, we're living in this world. We're living according to the flesh. We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We've got spiritual artillery that has divine power. It goes back to what I said earlier. This book isn't an ordinary book. It's a powerful book. And if you'll use this book, you can overcome the enemy. You can defeat him and put him on the run. Listen, fussing with the devil ain't going to give you victory. You can stand there and go back and forth all you want to, but that's not going to help you win. Using pop psychology isn't going to help you win over the devil. Stand there trying to bind him. It ain't going to help you win. I know in Pentecostal circles, we, we get all about the binding and the loosening, but here's the thing. If we could bind the devil, why ain't he already bound? 
He's still running loose, isn't he? His devils are still running loose. And, and, and I know sometimes we get excited and we get to pray and I, Satan, I bind you in the name of you. But here's the thing, Satan's still loose. You want to fight against him? Use the word of God. Amen. You got to use the word of God. When Jesus was tipped in the wilderness, each time what did Jesus say? It is written. Jesus knew the word and he quoted the word back to him. And here's what we have to understand. Satan knows the word. So we've got to learn how to try to know it better than he does. Because he'll quote scripture. He'll take it out of context. He'll begin to twist it. And so we've got to make sure that we know what the Bible says. You see, that brings up this point. If you're going to use a weapon, you've got to be familiar with the weapon. You've got to know how to, if you're going to shoot a gun, whether it be a rifle or a shotgun, you've got to be familiar with that weapon. I wouldn't put a handgun in the hand of Isabella because she wouldn't know what to do. You've got to be familiar with the weapon. And that means we've got to know what the Word of God says so we can fight back. As I've already said, he's, he knows it. He quoted it to Jesus. Did he not? He quoted from the book of Psalms to Jesus. But Jesus knew the Word and said it's written. And so here's the thing. Do you know the Word well enough so you can fight back? That if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word that you can put your hands on, do you have it hid in your heart to such a degree that when Satan comes fighting and when Satan comes trying to destroy you and overcome you, that you can say, it is written. And then begin in the scripture. You may not know chapter and verse. You may not even know what book it's in. But you know it's in there somewhere. And you can give him the word. And you can put him on the run. It helps us to fight our spiritual battle. Here's number four. It helps me pray more effectively. One of the greatest struggles that all of us have is prayer. And sometimes it's simply, how do I pray? What do I pray for? So many times we think that we're going to spend 30 minutes, an hour with God, and all of a sudden, five minutes later, you, you've prayed for everything under heaven, and it's like, what am I going to pray for now? How many has been there? Now you think, hey, I, I've got this long list of prayer. I'm just going to go to God. I'm going to spend an hour in here today. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, ten minutes later, it's like, what am I going to pray for? Well, that's where the Word of God can come in and help us. I believe that if we'll know what this book says and even pray at times with this book in front of us while we read it, it can help us to pray biblically. I believe the Word of God will help us to pray in line with God's will. If you're struggling to find out what God wants you to do, spend time in this book and begin to pray what God says and you'll pray according to the will of God. Listen to John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you'll let the word of God, if you'll let the words of Jesus abide in you, you can pray and he'll answer. Do you see the connection there between abiding in his word and answered prayer? They go together. If we want to pray effectively, we need to pray according to the word of God. Listen to 1 John 5, verse 14, 15. I preached on these before. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. John says, if we ask according to the will of God, God hears and God answers 
But how do we know the will of God? His will is found in His Word. That's how you know what God wants. That's how you pray. If you want to pray effectively, pray God's Word back to Him. Pray and claim the promises of God. Let me explain it like this. Find out what God has said and pray it back to Him. It's that simple. Pray the Psalms. In fact, many of the Psalms are prayers. Find a psalm and, and, and put it in your own words and begin to pray it back to God. Think as the word is your prayer guide while you read and study. I'll say this, you can't effectively study if you're not praying because you need the Holy Spirit's illumination to understand what's in the book. They all go together. Let me give you a simple way to pray God's word as you read. Look for something to request, something to rejoice over, or something to repent about. As you read, as you spend time studying, just look for something to request, something to rejoice over, or something to repent about. And you can just go verse by verse and just begin to read and just take those three things and just begin to pray. Let me, let me illustrate this in my notes, but if you take the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, you can rejoice that He's your shepherd. In fact, you can take that very first line, the Lord is, and you can emphasize the words. And you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. But I know him personally and he knows me. He's, he's my shepherd. And you can rejoice that he's your shepherd. But you can also begin to turn it into a request. God, I know that you're my shepherd and I shall not want. God, right now I've got want in my life. I've got needs in my life. But you said I'll, I'll not have any need because you're my Shepherd, and you just begin to pray your needs. Just take the word of God and begin to rejoice. Begin to re- you could also repent based on that first verse. God, I know that you're my shepherd and you, you, you've provided for all of my needs, but there are times in my life I'm not content with what you've given me. And I need to repent. I need to ask forgiveness. And you can just read one verse. You, you pray five minutes and you go, go to the next verse. He leads me beside still waters. God, I've got decisions I need to make in my life. I, I need you to lead me. God, I've got to do this on such and such date. I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm confused. My, my mind is wandering. My mind's all over. God, God would, you, would you lead me? Would you be my shepherd and, and lead me down the right path? And you just pray. And guess what? You can pray that for your family. You can take the scripture after you've prayed for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for other people. And just pray the word of God. You see, as long as we have this book, we should never say, I don't know how to pray or what to pray for. Never. We should never get to a place where, well, I just don't know what I'm going to pray about today. Just start reading and praying. And you'll pray effectively. Amen? Number five, it guides my steps. It guides my steps. The Word of God is our roadmap for living. When we read it, study it, the Holy Spirit will use it to give us guidance and direction. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Have you ever felt like you've been walking in darkness? Didn't know what to do, which way to go? If you'll spend time in the book, the Holy Spirit can shine the light on your path and help you know exactly what you need to do. 
If you'll read and heed God's instructions, He'll show us where to go, what to say, and how to make decisions. I believe that God shows us what we need to do in His Word. I believe that God gives us principles and truths from His Word to help us make wise decisions. I don't believe God wants us living foolishly. I believe God wants us to make wise decisions. I believe God wants us to to, to use the brain that has given us, use some common sense, but God wants to use His Word to guide us and instruct us. And if the Word of God doesn't spell it out plainly, look for principle. Look at what God did in somebody else's life and just begin to ask and seek God and what He'll want you to do. If you need direction, look in God's Word and it will guide your steps. But number six... It reveals my spiritual condition. It reveals my spiritual condition. How we treat the Word of God and respond to it reveals a lot about the condition of our lives. In other words, our relationship to the Word reveals our relationship with God. John 8, 31, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. The word abide, it simply means to remain. It means to continue. It means we're to remain in His word. And He says that if we remain in His word, it demonstrates that we're truly His disciples. This doesn't mean that we've got to be reading the Bible 24-7, but it does mean that we've got to continue in it. We can't leave the word. We can never get away from the book. We've got to long for the word. We've got to seek to live our lives according to the word. To abide in the Word means that we never stop being persuaded by its truths. It should affect how we live. It means that we never cease to be attracted by its beauty and value. To abide in the Word means we never cease to rest in its grace and power. It means that we never cease to eat and drink from the Word as the bread of heaven and living water. We've got to abide in the Word. And so here's the question. How does abiding in the Word and truly being His disciple relate to each other? Jesus is saying that the mark of a true disciple is lasting, enduring, persevering, keeping on in the force field of the Word. In other words, the mark of a true Christian is that they taste and they stay. You stay in the book. John six sixty eight. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In John 6, Jesus says a lot of people following him. He just fed the 5,000. And they're following him because he fed them. But he begins to talk about being the bread come down from heaven. And they begin to have a problem with that. Because he says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, you've said a hard thing. And from that day forward, many left him and followed him no more. And Peter responded when Jesus turned around, are you also going to leave? Peter said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. They understood there was power in the words that Jesus was speaking. Hear what I'm about to say. Your relationship with the Word or lack of relationship with the Word says a lot about your spiritual condition. Some might say, well, preacher, you're adding to the gospel. And here's the thing. I'm not saying we're saved by works. I'm not saying that we're saved by how much time we spend in the Bible reading. I'm not saying we're saved by how much time we're studying this book. I believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But it's been said by great men of old, the faith that saves is never alone. It'll change your life. It'll put a love for this book in your heart. And here's the thing. 
How can you call yourself a Christian if you don't love the book? How can we call ourselves a follower of God if we don't love His love letter to us? You remember what it's like when you first fell in love and you got letters and past notes? You, you, you just you cherished them. You'd read them. Probably had a little box or something. You stored them all in and kept up with them. That's how it should be about God and His Word. That we just, we just love this book. And we abide in it. Not because I'm trying to add to my salvation, but because I am saved. I have a love for this. I want to read it. I want to know what it says. I want to know what God says. And if you don't have that desire to, to know what God says, then, then Jesus says, you're not my disciple. If we aren't seeking to live by this book and know this book, very good indication that we're not a follower of Jesus. So I want to close by saying that the Word of God is powerful. It's beneficial. It's profitable to our lives. And we need to stay in the book. 2 Timothy 3.16 again says, It's breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Write these two scriptures down, Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. It was written for our instruction. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. God's Word is meant to help us. It's meant to benefit us. It's meant to profit us. It's intended to instruct, to correct, to guide, and give comfort, and give hope. And so it's my prayer as I close tonight that God would give us a greater desire for His Word. I pray that God would give us a hunger for His Word. That we would want to stay in this book and pour through this book so that we can meet God. You know, that's what it's all about. It's about meeting God. It's not just, in fact, some, I believe it was D.O. Moody said this. He said the Bible was not just given for information, but for transformation. It's not just to make us wiser. It's not just to make us smarter. It's not just to make us more informed about who He is. It's about changing our lives. Because you know what the Bible says about knowledge? Knowledge puffs up. Information without application leads to frustration, as I heard one pastor say before. And if all we do is read this book and we never live it out and apply it, you'll be frustrated or you'll become proud because you walk around, look at how much I know. That's not what it's for, just so you can boast about how much you know. It's so it can change your life. God has given us a letter. 66 books, one book total. Genesis to Revelation. And I believe that if we'll just open this book, God will begin to speak. That's why as best as I can, I do, I, I do my level best to, to preach what the Word of God says. Paul instructed Timothy, preach the Word. Why? Because it's the Word that changes us. It's the truth that sets us free. It, it, it's the Word of God that makes a difference in us. But here's the thing. 
you got to do more than eat just on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. I've got to do more than just feast on this book for preparing another message. And see, that, that, that's one of the dangers that I can fall into as a pastor. Just reading this book to find out what God wants to say to His people and never really feeding on the book to find out what God wants to say to me. And there's a lot of pastors, if you would ask them, they would struggle with that. Because we get paid to basically study the book. And if we aren't careful to become routine, God, what, what am I going to preach this week? And it never affects me because I'm trying to just deliver it to somebody else. I want to stay in this book so that it affects me. In fact, many times is what I've come to find out in my years of ministry that the things that affect me most personally is often sometimes the greatest preaching that I've ever done. Because when it grabs a hold of me, it's going to grab hold of people. And so we have to be people who know the book. So I want us to take a few moments to pray. And I want us to ask God to give us a hunger for His Word. I know tonight it's been different. I, I didn't get too loud and I didn't move around too much. and I slowed down a little bit. But I want us to be people who know the book. I want us to understand that there are great benefits to simply reading this book. All Scripture is profitable. Even when you get in those begots and you get into the book of Numbers and you can't pronounce all the names, all Scripture's profitable. And I just believe that if we'll take the time to slow down, I don't know what direction we're going next week as far as the Bible reading plan, but I believe if we'll slow down some, God will speak to us and God will change our lives because that's the power of this book. Would you stand with me?